A meteor comes, entire place, obliterated. Would we still have a church? Okay, go to your tables, talk about that question. Why or why not would we have a church? Go ahead. So your answer to that question will reveal a lot about what you believe about the church. Um, and it's okay, whatever you know, your initial thought to, to that was. Today we want to kind of discover the answer to that question. And so if you answered no, then the church to you is really just what happens in the building. And I would just challenge you to say, then if that's what you believe, then you're really missing what the real purpose of the church is. If we think it's only what happens in these walls or the walls up there or in any other church, we're missing really the God-given purpose of the church. If you answered yes, that we would still have a church, then my next question to you is, I want you to answer this, but just in your head to think about, well, then why did you say yes? I think a lot of you knew the right answer to that question was, yes, we would still have a church. But do you really know the why behind that? Um, now, I don't want you to think in saying that, that I think that having a meeting place, a building to meet in is a bad thing. It definitely is not. Having a regular place to meet, to gather, for worship, study, all kinds of different things is really helpful and really important. Uh, any of you that have ever, I actually, I haven't, but I know people that have, have ever been a part of a church plant that meets in a school or some other place and every Sunday you've got to set up church uh, most of those people would tell you it is really nice to have a building that you can meet in the same place all the time. So having a building is not bad. But if you think church is only what happens inside the four walls of the church, you're missing the point of what the church is. So for the next three Sundays, we're going to be in a series called The Church. I mean, we had to come up with the most clever title we could to explain what we're talking about. And sadly, when I'm the leader around here, this is as good as it gets, the church. Um, thank you. So we're going to talk about three things. This Sunday, we're going to talk about what is the church? I mean, it's, to me, so much of life is really just coming back to the basics. What is the church is this Sunday? But to really get there, we got to talk about how did it come about and what's its purpose? When we answer how did it come about, and we're going to talk about who's the leader of the church, when we answer those two things, the purpose actually becomes kind of simple and, and easy to understand. Next Sunday, Sterling's going to talk about how we all belong to the church. When you're a follower of Jesus, we all belong to the church. We all play a part in it. He's going to talk a lot about what is the body. Why is the church called the body of Christ and how we all play a role in that? And then that third Sunday, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? How do they play a part in the church? We're actually going to do a, spirit, do a spiritual gifts test that third Sunday to help you know what are your spiritual gifts so you can know how to use those, lean into those, the ones that God has given you inside the church. Now, um, this, the next thing up here is about as scholarly as I can possibly get in my head. And that is when I get into Greek words. The, yes, dude, I found it on the internet. Um, now, the Greek word for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia, that is ecclesia, 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 however you want to say it. And what it actually means in the Greek is called out ones, called out ones or assembly. So that's really the meaning of it. But I think it's interesting. If, if you were to kind of ask me, what's my first thought of the church? I have to be honest with you. I probably don't necessarily think of the people. I do think of churches, the building. 
Different churches, you know, going around like the, the local church. I don't always think about the body, but the Greek word for it is the called out ones or the assembly, the, gather, the gathering. So the church is not the building, but the people, and more expressly and more specifically, the people of God, the people that are called out by God, that are following God, that are Christ followers. Here's just a cool, ver- a cool verse in Romans, kind of simple. You'd probably read over it and you wouldn't think anything of it, but it helps explain this. Romans 16, 5, Paul says, greet also, this is at the end of his letter to the Christians in Rome. He says, greet also the church in their house. So he's saying, greet also the called out ones in their house. So the house doesn't matter. He's just saying it's the people in the house that matter. The church is the people of God. The church was not the house or the building, but the people in the house. Now, I think there's two things that can kind of help us uh, in our modern day, the way that we talk about things to really understand the church. We actually talk about the church in two different ways. We talk about the big C church and we talk about the little C church. Okay, big C church, when we say that, what we mean is the universal church, the global church, the church around the world. First Corinthians twelve thirteen says, for in one spirit... That is the Holy Spirit. We were all baptized into one body. That's not talking about a water baptism there. That's talking about a Holy Spirit baptism. When you believe in Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit comes in, baptizes you, immerses you, becomes and dwells in you. He says you were all baptized into one spirit, into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. That universal church is any person that has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. That is the universal church. Okay, so sometimes we talk about the church, big C church, we mean the global church for all the time, across all the time in all places. Then when we talk about what I call the little C church, what we're talking about there is the local church, Reston Bible Church, McLean Bible Church, all kinds of different churches around here. That is the local church. This is where the individual faith of people, the called out ones, gather in the local body to be together. So Galatians 1, 1 through 2 says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. It is the individual local called out ones, those assemblies in the different regions, just as we have local churches here. So just trying to help you understand that today. We've got the big C church. We got the little C church. But here is today's main point, and it's going to kind of help us unfold everything. It's this. When you understand the purpose of the church, and I would say big C church there, you can understand your purpose in the church. When you understand the purpose of the church, you can then understand your purpose in the church. Now, the church is not, it's not, and I think a lot of people think this, I think even in the church, you can hear some of you might think this. We might think, oh, you know, the, the church is just an old institution made by a bunch of Middle Eastern old men. Or maybe you think the church is just an American tradition because people thought it was a good idea and it's what we needed. If you believe something like that, though, and you don't understand the how and why of the church and how it came to be, 
then I don't think you're going to get very excited about being a part of the church. If you just think it's an old institution people just made up, you're not going to be like, well, what, what need do I have of that in my life? And I would agree with you. If that's what the purpose of the church is and that's how it came about, then I would agree with you. It's like maybe it's just an outdated institution. But when we lead today and we understand the purpose of the church, then we'll understand our purpose in the church. Here's our theme verse for this series, Ephesians 1, through 23. And it says, And he, that he being Jesus Christ, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. That Jesus is the head, the leader over all the church, and we are the body of Christ, the called out ones. So when you begin to understand the church is actually, think about this, the church, this local church here, all the other local churches meeting right now, all the people across all the time that have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, when you begin to understand that they are the living body of Jesus Christ, made up of followers of Jesus, both locally around the world, for all of time, past, present, and future, with the mission and purpose to bring God's kingdom work on this earth, you can begin to say, wow, I get to be a part of that? The living body of Christ doing work, his kingdom work across the world, right where I am and across the world? Man, it gets cool because you're like, that's living. God is doing something. I am a part of the work that God is doing. And we want you to get excited about realizing that you are part of the living body of Jesus Christ and to get excited about your part in it. So that's what we're going to be talking about this series. What is the church? What's your role in it? Know the purpose of it so you can know your part in it. Let me pray as we kick off. Lord, uh, God, as we just come and we look at your word to see what is the church, God, I pray that uh, students and leaders here and myself will just have uh, uh, maybe the first time understanding, maybe uh, a little bit newer understanding of what is the purpose of the church, God, because it's, it's what you have called us into if we're a follower of yours. We are already a part of it, God, and we want to know how do we live in it? What is it about so that we can pursue your kingdom in the body of Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we want to understand what's the purpose of the church and how we find it in the Bible. And so to do that, we need to answer, we're going to kind of answer two questions that will help us answer the third. The first one is, where does the church find its origin? Number two, who is the leader? And then number three, what is the purpose? And so the goal is for you to be able to answer these three questions so that you can know the purpose of the church and then you can know your purpose in it. So we're going to start with number one, what is the origin of the church? And I, I started with what is the origin of the church. And I chose that word specifically origin for a reason. Because if we just talk, we're going to talk about the beginning of the church, but we got to really talk about the origin of the church. You know, it's interesting when, if you go back anywhere, just even one generation before, and you look at the people in your family, you begin to understand a lot about yourself, right? If you can look back and go, for me, it's cool. Like one of the things that, that I love to do is I love to work with my hands. I love to build stuff. I love to create things. I love to fix stuff. I like to work on my cars. Um, I like, I enjoy doing that. And it's really cool because my mom, my grandfather on my mom's side, that's exactly what he was like. And I always remember as a kid kind of looking at him and going, man, I, I want to be like that. 
I want to be able to fix things. I want to do those things. And so as I look back at kind of my origin, it helps me to understand who I am. So we want to look back and we want to know what's the origin of the church. So just even as you think about yourself, you know, for better or for worse, our family affects us. What about you? Do you know what people in your family are like? Would it help you to understand yourself better if you knew what your origin was? I think in the same way, when we understand the origin of the church, it's going to help us understand what it's all about and how we live in it. So some of you, you might connect the idea of the church with a building or a church you grew up in or this big institution that seems kind of out there. But let's, let's, do, let's go right into God's word and let's see where does the church have its origin. And I think it, it all starts in Matthew chapter 16 with the disciple Peter. Matthew 16, verse 16, says this. Simon Peter, actually, we're, gonna, we're right here, we're sorry. Simon, uh, can you, is there uh, a couple of verses back? Did I put those on there? Or is that it? I'm gonna open up to it, sorry. I wanna, get, I wanna help you get the full, uh, full context here. I might have forgot to put those on there. So, Matthew chapter 16, starting, yeah, there we go. Starting in verse 13. So, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man? So this is kind of sort of in the middle, beginning middle of Jesus's ministry on this earth with his disciples. And he says, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that the son of man is? He's talking about himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Those are the Old Testament prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. The Barjona part just means Simon, son of Jonah. For for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, like I said, this takes place sort of beginning, middle of Jesus' ministry here on earth with his, with his 12 disciples. And the thing that's really important to start here is, is because we understand that the church is not just this kind of haphazard religious organization, but Jesus had a divine plan from the beginning to establish his presence in the world, that when he would die on the cross, come back to earth, rise again and go to heaven, he said, I've already got a plan of how I'm going to continue my work. And it's the church. It's the kingdom of God. It's the unified group of called out ones that are unified by the Holy Spirit. Let's break this down a little bit to get an understanding of what Jesus is saying here. In the previous verses, he had asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He's referring to himself, and they give him some flattering words because John the Baptist, they all saw him as this great guy that came and was kind of preparing the way for the Messiah to come. They talk about Jeremiah, who is considered one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, or Elijah, who did these amazing things for God, calling fire down from heaven. So they kind of give him these flattering words and telling what the people said. And then Jesus goes, no, Peter, I want to know, who do you say that I am? And Peter tells him, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus encourages Peter for his remark and also says, you know what, Peter? You didn't say this out of really just your own good thinking. 
He said, it's God that helped you to say this. Because to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the true Messiah, the ones that will take away the sins of the world, he says, that is a spiritual understanding. God divinely helped him understand this. And then Jesus starts and he says, you know what? Because of Peter, what your belief is and how I brought you to that, he says, I'm going to make this prophecy regarding you and the church. But we got to go back actually a little bit further to understand and get the full context of this passage. Because first, he reminds Peter of the name that he gave him. The word Peter or Cephas means rock. It means rock. He's reminding Peter that Peter, you like a rock, like a house built on the foundation is strong. And he gives Peter the name rock in John chapter 1, verses 41 through 42. This is right when he meets Peter. This is what he says. His name was Simon. He said he first found his own brother. This is Andrew, the brother of Peter. At this point, Peter is called Simon. He says he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we go all the way back. Jesus says, Peter, or Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. Your name is now Rock. Just a, just a side note here. Like, I think we've, we've just lost some meaning of names. But when you look in the Bible, man, when people, Jesus would give people new names, it was setting a destination for their life. He's like, this is what your life's going to be about. So Jesus makes this prophecy that then on this rock is where Jesus will build his church. So at the first reading of this, especially in the English as we read it, you would believe, I think at first reading, that Jesus is saying that it's on Peter that the church will be built, which isn't necessarily wrong or, or, or bad necessarily, but it's not really the fullest understanding and it's not helping us get a full context of scripture. Because in the Greek, I can't believe I'm getting so scholarly today. I'm going in the Greek twice. Something's going on with me. It's this vest. This vest looks so fancy. I felt like I should go fancy for you guys. Um, the Greek word for rock is masculine in when he calls Peter's name. But then when he says, the second time he says rock, it's feminine. And that's not like in the same way that we think of masculine and feminine. It's the way that they would define their words and their terms. So it's actually two different words in the Greek for rock. When he says upon you, Peter, this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it on the rock. So in the first one, it's Peter, his name. In the second one, it's this solid rock, this rising up from the earth. So then the question is, which is it? Now, you can go read a lot of scholarly work on things. Did Siri hear me? Um, in, the Bible, uh, in the Bible scholarly world, there's actually a lot of debate over this verse. As I understand it, try to interpret scripture. I believe as we look at multiple other scriptures, what we're going to do, there are two things that are involved in understanding the full context of this. So stay with me. We're going a little deep here today. Number one is this. If the church is built on the rock, the first thing we need to know is we need to look at Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, because it says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Paul is talking to the Christians in Ephesus. He says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the called out ones, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But it says this, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a body, into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the spirit of God. So the first thing to understand is that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, if any of you have any kind of, you've ever built anything, you have people in your family that are in construction, one thing that they would know is what is most important is that your cornerstone is built correctly, is level, is the way that it should be because everything else builds off of that. So Paul is letting us know here, it is Jesus who is the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone of the church. Everything is built off of him. So to understand this kind of prophecy that Jesus makes when he says, Peter, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna build my church upon this rock. He's saying, first, I'm gonna build it upon myself. I am the chief cornerstone. I am the foundation. But then in the same verse, we see what it's talking about, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but the apostles and the prophets, referring back to the Old Testament prophets, they are the rest of the foundation of the church. They are the rest of the foundation of the church. It was kind of cool. I remember uh, when I was in Israel back in 2019, we were traveling kind of in the uh, north of Israel. Actually, we went up to this one mountain where you could actually see, uh, you could see Lebanon in the north. And we, as we were going through this one village, uh, our tour guide was talking, about, talking to us about some of the houses. He'd say, see how that house is like, got like two stories and then it's totally unfinished? He's like, what the reason for that is he's like, you've got one generation that lives on the bottom. And then they leave it open so that then the next generation in that family can build on top. And then they leave it open so the next generation can live up there. And, and it's just a good picture to me of what we understand about the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The apostles, the 12 guys that hung out with Jesus, they are then the rest of the foundation. And as we can, the church continues, we're building on that foundation. So understanding the origin of the church, that it is Jesus that built it. He is the chief cornerstone. He instituted it. He is the beginning of it. So, so far, Jesus tells Peter that Peter is going to be the rock on which the church is built. We then learn that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets are the rest of the foundation. So now let's learn a little bit more about how these called out ones or how this church began. So this is what happens in Acts uh, the apostles are the beginning of the called out ones. So understanding the prophecy of Jesus about the future church, we then go to where these church or these called out ones begin, and it starts in Acts chapter 2. So a little bit of background. Jesus has gone back to heaven. Now you've got these 12 apostles, and, or 11 apostles now. We know Judas is no longer with us. And uh, we've got the 11 apostles here. They, uh, they're going to point some other ones. And the apostles now are, they're kind of like, they're sort of like, what's going on here? Jesus, you've been with us for three years. You're now, you're now gone back to heaven. You rose again. We sent something different here. What do we do? And so this is where the beginning of these called out ones begins. And it says in, in Acts chapter two, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, all in wonder, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what happens right before this? This is kind of the first thing we see of these called out ones, this early church, this fellowship of believers. What happened right before this is we've got Peter who stands up amongst all the people, all the Christians, and, he's, and he declares the gospel. He declares that Jesus is the one that rose again. And the Holy Spirit comes. For the first time, the Holy Spirit comes. It comes on the people. They sense it. And these are the beginning people to go, okay, I think we need to start being together. We need to start walking this out. And so this is the beginning of the call, that one. So it's cool that Jesus says, Peter, you're going to be that rock. And the way that I believe Peter was that rock was that at what we call Pentecost, when this Holy Spirit came, Peter was the one that stood up and said, this is the gospel. This is the way to live. Now we're going to move forward. And Peter was the first kind of leader of the church. So the church finds its origin in Jesus instituting it and giving it vision. It was always Jesus's idea. It was never man's idea. Man just carried it out. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the first group of called out ones begins. And Peter is kind of this, this, this human character that begins moving it forward. And both Peter and Paul, as you read their writings in the New Testament, they will continually refer back to Jesus as the founder and the leader of the church. So here's what I want you to do. For just a minute at your table, I want you to talk about what did you learn? about the origin of the church so far that maybe you didn't know that was kind of new that kind of helps you understand everything. So take, uh, take about three minutes to talk about that. Go ahead. Okay. All right, we're, we're going to jump back in here. So uh, it was like a little bit before Christmas. Uh, do some of you, some of you know uh, Jeremy Farber who drives the boat at summer camp? Drive one of the boats, you guys know him? Nobody knows him. Okay. Okay. All right. Some of you, that's what I thought. So I actually went over to his company. He owns a company that like recycles old electronics. And I was having lunch with him. He's like, hey, come over, come over and see, see my business. And it was really cool. He kind of walked me in. And one of the things that they had was kind of like their belief statements up on like kind of the doorway that everybody walks through. And there was some very clear things about spiritual matters that they believe and the way that they run the organization. And just walking through there, you could see that there was this, this, this spirit of people I just kind of cared for each other. And it just made me think and realize that uh, any organization or institution or company, they take on the characteristics of their leader. And I just saw that when I, when I went into to Jeremy's business. And so as we look at the church, the church finds its leadership in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the leader. He is the chief cornerstone, right? Because when we understand the origin, that Jesus was the one that it was his idea. The church is what he instituted. So that makes him the leader. And so in Ephesians 1, through 23, our main verse, it declares this. And it says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head or leader over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So really the question of who's the leader of the church I'm not going to spend that much time on this because when we understand the origin of the church, knowing its leader is easy. Jesus is a leader. And so it's in him that we look for guidance. We look for direction. And, and I think you can see when churches can get off the way that the Lord wants, off his way and his guidance and direction, when we forget that he's the leader and we begin thinking that we are, we have the right direction. And so... 
we're going to talk a little bit now about what is the purpose of the church. And we're going we're to end here with this. So blueprints and directions. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think, now my wife's here today. She can disagree with this, okay? I don't think I'm one of those people that's scared to use directions. I've actually like, I'm a guy that's like, you know what? I'm cool with directions. Um, because one, I will be first to admit to you, when it comes to like driving directions, I'm actually somewhat geographically challenged. Like I'm not the greatest at knowing where I am. So I'm like, I, I'm willing to admit that. I, I'm a humble, I, I'm, I'm still a man. Just because I don't know exactly where I'm going all the time. So I'm one that's like, whether it's driving directions or, or putting things together and building, I'm like, let's look at the directions. Someone wrote these for a reason. Let's use them, okay? So um, one of the most important ways that you can use directions in life is, is uh, Legos, right? Legos? Okay. I'm cooler than you guys. You want to know why? None of y'all know who this is, but I know who this is. My son is one of the, Anybody else know who this is? This is not a rabbit, dude. This is Bunchu. Yeah. Y'all, I know who Bunchu is, but y'all don't, right? I finally feel cool that I know something that you guys don't know. Y'all heard of the Lego Dream series? I mean, come on. This is, are you kidding me? Okay. It's, it's not really, it's not really y'all's age. Me and Joshua, we built this together. And it was, it was amazing. It really was kind of amazing to me when I built Legos. I'm like, Dude, the people that put the forethought into how all this is going to fit together to ultimately to come out to look like this. And it's the directions. If we, you can open up, anybody that's done Legos, man, you could open Legos, lay it out everywhere and be like, have no directions. Be like, well, I could build something. But if I want it to look like what it's supposed to, I got to go to the directions. So go home, look up the Lego Dream series. It's decent. Um... (laughs) So let's break, I want to break it down. We look at what's the purpose of the church. We got to go back. Well, let's look at Acts chapter two, what we just read. Really, that's kind of the original blueprint for what the church was. I, I, tr- I believe that in Acts chapter two, these early believers, the called out ones, led by the Holy Spirit, they were like, okay, what are we going to do? We're together. What does it look like to be the called out ones? So we're going to break it down. We're going to examine what it says in Acts chapter 2, and I want to try to show you what we do in the student ministry so you can show that we're trying to live out that same blueprint. So if Jesus is the head of the church, then we should do what Jesus did and seek to manifest him in our lives as the church. So first thing, number one, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching was paramount it was focused for them. It was the first thing that they did. Why? Because they were looking to the apostles who had been with Jesus, that knew his words, that showed them how to live. And they're like, okay, if we want to reproduce ourselves, if we want to reproduce Jesus, if we want this to continue on, we got to go back to his teaching. So they were listening to what the apostles said. They were probably taking some of the letters that were beginning to be circulated by the apostles, and they were going back and saying, we're devoting ourselves to that, to understand it and to live it out. Staying true to God's word is what keeps the local church in step with Jesus. We may not always like what it says, and it might not always be easy, but it is God's word, and it is the ultimate authority. So how do we do it here in the student ministry? Well, Sunday mornings right now, 
teaching. It's the major part of what we do, God's word. Teaching at summer camp and winter retreat. God's word being the center. In small groups on a Wednesday night, we want you to dig into God's word, to be devoted to his teaching, to understand it. Even just at different activities, like worship and warfare last night, Sterling got up, taught through the word. We believe that that is the thing that changes lives. Freshman fellowship, it was centered on God's word, the teaching there. So the first thing they did in the blueprint for us is to the apostles' teaching. The second thing it says that they did was they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the fellowship. I've said this example before, but it just really resonates with me. Growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church. In a Baptist church, every Baptist church has one main thing that they all have. Does everybody remember what it is? The fellowship hall. They all have the fellowship hall. What do you do in the fellowship hall? Mainly you just eat food. I don't know how much fellowshipping you do. You just eat food, right? But the biblical word for fellowship means so much more than just hanging out. Like that's not what it is. It's not just hanging out. It has this really deep idea and understanding of this connection, this spiritual connection with the Lord and with each other that we, that we take part in. So the cool thing is this fellowship, it happens anywhere believers gather together. Where one or two, are, where two or more are gathered, that's where the Lord is. That's why things like the church happen at summer camp when we go there, at winter retreat when they go there. Why? Because we're the called out ones that are gathering together and the fellowship happens there. Uh, last Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago, we had uh, our leader party and we went to the bowling alley together. And you know what? As I was stepped back and looked around, I said, there's fellowship happening here in the bowling alley. And it was cool because when we got to the front, I was talking to the witches that helped take care of us and we were paying. And I said, oh, I hope we weren't too high maintenance. She was like, I wish every group was like y'all's. So, you know, I think she's trying to say like, you guys are just caring for each other. You were having fun being together and making it easier on her. On her. So the church is where all of the one another's take place. We bear each other's burdens. We honor, honor one another. We instruct one another. We are kind and compassionate to one another. We gather together with one another. We love one. There's so many one another's in the Bible. It's in the group of the called out ones that those one another's happen. Now, I think the fellowship breaks, it breaks in, in, uh, in Acts chapter two, it kind of breaks down a little bit more and, and helps us understand it. So it says, they had all things in common. So that fellowship was having all things in common, that they said, you know what, why we have all things in common? Because the Holy Spirit's in us. So the way we live, what we do, how we talk, how, what we do with our material goods, we have all these things in common because the Holy Spirit unites us. We are living with one common goal here. The other thing it says was, it says that they were praising God. That's worship through music. That's corporate worship when we gather together and and worship. It's worship, whether it's you're working and your worship is to God. So they were gathering together and they were praising God. And then it says that they were meeting together. They were attending the temple together. So they were still, they still had their Jewish roots. They were going together going, we're still going here to get some feeding from the Old Testament. As this new kind of church was beginning, they were going together and being together. So how do we do this in student ministry? How do we have fellowship? We have this thing called freshman fellowship. That's not just about hanging out, but it's about this connection with God's word. Wednesday night small groups, one of the greatest ways that we have fellowship together is we dig into God's word and we care for each other. Sunday mornings at tables, even in the brief time they have at tables, we're trying to have actual fellowship here around God's word. So we've got, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
They have devoted themselves to the fellowship. And as we continue to look at the blueprint and understand the purpose of the church, the next part is the breaking of bread. What it means there is two things. It means one, the Lord's Supper. Very specifically, it's talking about the Lord's Supper. It says they would break bread, just like Jesus said on the night before his death, he broke bread. And so that's why we do communion. It's just the blueprint for the church. We do communion to remember Jesus' death and resurrection, that he would die for us. And so we gather together to remember that. But it also means they're talking about, too, that they would eat meals together, that they would gather together. You know, there's just something, there's just something special when you get together with someone over a meal. I don't know what it is. It's like, well, you got to have coffee. But as long as coffee is there, then Jesus is probably there. Um, but you gather together for these meals. There's something special that happens there. One of, my, one of my favorite small group events we do is the Thanksgiving dinner. We all gather. We've got tables all around here, food everywhere. And we sit and we have a meal together. Or just when you have someone over your house and have a meal together. So they had that breaking of bread that was communion together, but they were also sharing meals together. And I know in the small groups, adult small groups that we've been a part of, once a month, typically, we would have a meal together because it was just that sharing of time together. So the blueprint is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And number four is, it says that they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They're like, we need to talk to the Lord. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for what's going on in the world. We need to pray for this body of believers. They devoted themselves to do that. And how do we do that in the student ministry? Well, uh, the entire staff of RBC prays every Tuesday together at a staff meeting. The student ministry prays together. The student ministry staff prays every Tuesday at our own meetings together for this ministry for each other. Uh, me, Sterling, and Christina, we meet Mondays, almost every Monday at 1.30 p.m. We start that meeting with prayer for you guys and for each other. Um, we pray in small groups on Wednesday nights. We pray at events we pray here on Sunday morning specifically sometimes. We want to wrap this thing in prayer. We want to hear from God and want to hear from him. So there's blueprint of the apostles' teaching. What's the purpose of the church? Be about the apostles' teaching. Be about fellowship, about connecting around the Lord. Be about breaking bread and then be about prayer. And then the last thing I'll say is this, and then I'll be done. Way too many words today. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, this is ultimately what I'm calling you to do. I'm sending you out to make disciples. You've got this group of called out ones. You're doing these things together. But also he's saying in the midst of all that, I'm sending you out to go make disciples of all the nations. How do we do that? Well, we encourage you to have spiritual conversations with your friends. We do things like mission trips, lead the cause, trip to Puerto Rico. We do things like taking it to the streets, sharing about take five up here. We want you to go and not only just share it, but have your people come in and make disciples who make disciples. So, now that you know the purpose of the church, you can know your purpose in the church. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And the church, this living body of Jesus Christ, can become a force in the world for God's kingdom. When we all go, God, I want to be a part of that. Let me pray and we're going to finish with one worship song. Lord, I thank you that uh, the church was not man's idea. But God, it was your idea. And God, you instituted it, you created it. And so Lord, I thank you for showing us in your word what your church is all about. And uh, God, I pray that we would want to be a part of that living and breathing body of yours. We pray this on Jesus' name. Amen.